earlier on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Yeah, thanks for waking up with us, hanging out here on the fan on this Tuesday. Reminder, Rick Carlisle will join us. Pacers head coach coming up at 8 o'clock. We'll talk some college basketball with Mike DeCourcy coming up at 8.30. Uh, the news that everyone wants this morning before we dive into Chad Buchanan sound. Did you see they have measured Kevin Bowen, the left hand of Michael Penix Jr. at the Senior Bowl? I know these are things that you dial into the fan to hear these sorts of things. <laughs> sorts of stories. He is a 10-inch and three-fourths hand. So there you go. Michael Penix Jr. You going to draft him now? What does that mean? I have no idea what is it, it means. bigger than Kenny Pickett's hands? Uh, it is bigger than Kenny Pickett's little tiny man hands, I'm I guess. waiting until the uh, combine for the official results. <laughs> Jordan Reed tomorrow, Mark, ESPN draft analyst? Yes. Michael Penix, does he hear his name on day one of the draft? Uh, yes, he's a quarterback. I think he does. I think the worst that happens to him, I guess you could say, be what, day two? He'd pull the Will Levis. He'd stay the night in whatever city, and then he'd be drafted the next morning. But if you maybe bet the way we view quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, he gets his name Big in the week. first round. Big week at the Senior Bowl. Uh, you know, the Colts have been very, very active with Senior Bowl guys. Six, I believe, of their 13 draft picks last year were Senior Bowl products. Now, this year they've added some underclassmen. To that game. Uh, I think the other thing to note on the Colts, too, looks like Ed Dodds, the right hand man to Chris Boward, will be returning. Saw late last night the Chargers uh, seem to be zeroing in on one of the Ravens personnel people to pair up with John Harbaugh or uh, Jim Harbaugh, I should say, which, uh, given the family dynamic there, I guess that makes a little bit of sense. So, uh, unless I'm missing something, I felt like that was the one besides the Raiders that Ed Dodds was kind of rumored for. So, for like the umpteenth year in a row. I, I was Ed about Dodds to say, how many years is this you've done the Ed Dodds dance? With some GM <laughs> jobs, but ultimately looks like he'll be back in Indy. The Ed Dodds tour is kind of like the Disney on Ice tour. The Pacers go away for a little bit and then they always come back. <laughs> Literally, yeah. I, I was like trying to think of a coaching case. You know, I guess Harbaugh kind of had that for a while. Yeah, he it, did. it was like each year. I was like, wait, is he leaving Michigan or not? Um, so yeah, a couple Colts items. I do at some point want, want to get to Andy. Um, I think if you look at San Francisco and Kansas City, uh, in particular, how they've built their teams uh, with their quarterback contracts. Uh, there's a lot of things that I think the Colts sit here in 2024, and they are in a position to try and achieve. Um, so we'll get into that at some point today. All right. So yesterday, uh, you know, uh, Chad Buchanan was on with uh, the uh, with JMV. I want to get to some of that sound here in a little, but it's interesting. So KB and I always text, you know, hey, what are you thinking? The first segment, 730 segment, the big segment. What are you thinking about Carlisle coming up at eight o'clock? And it's funny that organically both of us heard the same thing yesterday in the availability with Tyrese Halliburton. So Halliburton met with the media. He talked about his hamstring and, you know, he hopes to be back tonight. He's just got to wake up in the morning when he went through practice and he can't wait to play with Pascal Siakam and how the team has done, what, seven and six this season without him. So all the things were talked about in one thing. That And I don't know who, I, somebody asked, I'm not sure exactly who asked, but it's a great question because we've been talking about it, and that is the 65-game threshold if he's going to make All-NBA. Now, you might be able to explain it better than I, but he needs to play in at least 65 games so he can be eligible uh, for All-NBA, which can put him in the Supermax deal of a little bit more than $50 million of earning. Now, Joel Embiid, 
you know, who could easily be yet again the MVP of the NBA, there's a 65-game threshold on that as well. And so, you know, there's a chance he doesn't win MVP because he'll miss that many games. And so Halliburton is only going to have, if he's back tonight and there's no setbacks, he's only going to have, what, four or five games to tinker with now. Well, he's missed re- 13 because yeah. they're 7-6 and six without him. There you so, go. So he's you know, missed 13 games. So that's uh, down to 69 games So four if games. he played the rest. And I know there are some questions, too, about that Boston game. He didn't. I think he only played 13 minutes in that game. That actually counts as a missed game in the NBA's eyes. And then, of course, the Pacers would probably counter and say, wait a minute, he played in the extra in-season tournament yeah. game. Shouldn't that count? Basically, to your point, he's got about three to four well, games. Well, and what's crazy about it is there's gray area, and there's a lot of money at stake. There so, is I mean, there's a ton a, of money. There's a ton of money for Tyrese Halliburton. Halliburton, of course, knows this. The Pacers, everybody knows this. He was asked about it yesterday. I thought he had a pretty interesting answer. I understand what's at stake for me financially as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's also like i got to take care of my body to the best of my ability and uh, put myself in the right situation. So, yeah, I know I don't have a ton of games left. Um, yeah, I think it's a stupid rule, like many guys in the league. But, uh, I mean, this is what the owners want. So, as players, we got to do our job and, um, you know, play in 65 games if, if we're able to. So, that's what i got to do, take care of my body to be able to play in those games. And I think that you're seeing other players in the league kind of face the same thing. So, uh, as long as that, uh, the owners are happy. <laughs> as long as the owners are happy. Yeah. How's that for How's that for a quote from Halliburton? That uh, uh, was a bit juicy from Tyrese Howell. I don't know if Herb Simon has an opinion <laughs> on that or not Okay, there. so what's yours? Because I know, you, I mean, obviously I, we all have an opinion on this. this. He called the, it a stupid I, rule. Yeah, and I think it's one of the more difficult things the NBA is dealing with r- r- right now. How do you curtail, how do you get a handle on load management. You know, what do you do to try and make sure your star players are playing as much as they can? Because in Halliburton's case, I mean, Andy, we all saw him go down in that Boston game. I mean, that's a legit injury. It's not like, you know, he's load managing this at at a level that, I don't know, maybe some other guys, and maybe it's totally unfair for me to accuse other guys of load managing. I mean, you know, if I'm 7'2 and 290, Joel Embiid, my body probably reacts a little differently of the grind of playing 82 nights out of the year. So I am torn on it. I, I originally liked the idea of the indie, uh, of the NBA trying to say, all right, this has become a problem. It's become a bit of an epidemic, really. How do we curtail it at all? And this seemed like a decent idea in my mind. But then you get guys like Halliburton, who there is no doubt about it, is an all-NBA talent. No questioning that. Deserves to have... The super max of 260 million compared to whatever it'd be 200, 210 million, somewhere around there. Um, but you know, how do you gauge his obvious injury situation with other guys that might have a little bit more behind the scenes injury situations? Like I think about this with the Colts and DeForest Buckner from a couple of years ago. He played through an elbow injury all year long. It was just showing up as an elbow injury on on the injury report. He wore kind of the Barry Bonds RoboCop thing. At the end of the year, he's like, yeah. Um, they wanted me to get like Tommy John if I would be more of a throwing athlete, but I just decided to play through it. It's like, <laughs> damn, it was like, damn, you know, like, that's, what mean, me- that's what men do. Kevin Bowen. You're not a man. So like Can you some imagine? of the injuries you're like, wait a minute. Are they real? Are they not real? Like it's so much gray area to try and sit here and police. If you're the NBA saying, nope, that's legit. That's not legit. So 65 games, meaning you would miss 17, you know, should availability be something that matters in these awards? 
Like, I asked that out it, loud. No, I, I know you are. No, listen, what you're saying is spot on. And who Tyrese Halliburton needs to blame are some, are not, not all, are some of the players that have come before him. By the way, was this not collectively bargained? I, well, I, I know it, he blames the owners, but I'd assume th- that this has got to be collectively is, th- bargained. This always happens. You know what happens in the NFL. Players get mad and they, and you know, and it's like, well, go look at your leadership on the CBA side. Uh, you accepted this. You probably, you know, you give up this. You get it's something like the franchise back. franchise tag yeah. in the NFL. I mean, you, you know, guys, players want to. I, I guess it became, people need to remember, and Halliburton needs to remember because he may have not even been in the league then. Uh, obviously, was not even at the stature that he is now as one of the top players in the entire NBA KB. And that is, this was a huge deal in the NBA. How many years ago? Maybe four years ago or so. You know, my time is just in the last year, especially, it's just been thrown out of whack. But I mean, this was load management. Okay, and guys like Kawhi Leonard and guys like LeBron James, superstars in this game, would just not play. And they didn't, at that time, the players in the teams, Kevin, they didn't even like, they didn't hide it between, oh, he's having, he has a back issue, he has an ankle issue. Like, no one ever believed that there were any of these injuries. And at times it felt like they said, nah, you know, we're just going to rest a guy. And so the NBA. You know, I don't know. It's like if, a, you know, you guys are parents with older children than I, you know, there's you're misbehaving, you're misbehaving. There's got to be a rule. And now because you've taken advantage, there's got to be a rule. And because it was taken advantage of, the NBA had to make a rule. And I'm with you with the nuance of, you know, you don't we, we, we truly don't know what a LeBron or Joel Embiid or a Halliburton are going through with an injury. But Halliburton's being bitten the ass here because there's because the forefathers of the NBA before him took advantage of it and they had to go in and they had to fix it because it was being taken advantage of and because there were nationally televised games and because it screwed over the fans. I mean, it's, I mean they I mean in a lot of ways LeBron James was a leader. Kawhi Leonard, those two guys in, screwing over the fans. Sorry. When you go to and spend all the money to go to these games and the guy, you know, the guys don't play. It's the, yeah, but if you're the, it's Celtics, the girl who cried wolf, I guess. Or is it the boy who cried wolf? Someone cried wolf. But if you're the Celtics tonight and Jason Tatum, whatever, is feeling a little sore waking up after last night, why the hell would you play him when you have aspirations to be playing in mid-June? And that's why you have the 17 games a buffer. And that, and so the 17 games a buffer are saying you can do your load management and you can probably sustain one two-week injury. You know, Two and a half, three-week injury. And then if it's more than that... Sorry about your luck. That's the conversation. Yeah, and this gets into like a bigger picture debate with the Hall of Fame of like, okay, you know, how much does longevity well, matter? Sure. You know, the the, sure. the Calvin Johnson sure. careers versus the Reggie Wayne careers. Patrick Willis is a guy who's kind of sure. going through this now you in know, the NFL. Luke Keekley's probably not at that level, but again, for five or six years, it was Hall of Fame pace, and then all of a sudden, boom, um, you know, he retires. So. Um, I, I thought it was very candid from Halliburton, and again, part of me thinks he's all NBA. Let's not like let's just look at our eyes. He deserves uh, to be rewarded like that. But then again, there's an element of like availability probably should matter in some of these cases, and there are some people that probably take advantage of the rule in much more discreet well, ways. They did. And, they did a few years and, ago. And, That's and the problem. Ways. Yeah. With that, so it is something I think just to keep an eye on. I a question I have for Rick Carlisle when he joins us in a few. 
you know, Pacers got a back to back coming up this weekend, uh, or this week, I should say, Thursday, Friday. Is Halliburton cleared for that? You know, is there any minute it's restriction a great question. Yeah, sure. with him in coming back, considering he has missed nine of ten? Again, the expectation uh, as of yesterday was Tyrese Halliburton will play today. They're going to gauge how he wakes up and feels. Did about a twenty minute scrimmage uh, before the Pacers departed for Boston yesterday. He has missed nine of ten. This is a game that he has had circled on the calendar for a long, long time, considering it is a TNT game. It is a standalone one, so certainly something to keep an eye on. And again, the fact that the Pacers are 7-6 and six without him this season, the fact that they've beaten some really quality opponents, those are signs of like, okay, you are a legit playoff-type team. When you're able to be without your star and withstand it, like they have, to be better than 500 without him, to have won in Miami, to have beaten Phoenix, to have beaten uh, you know, um, Philly, and Embiid played, and Booker played, and I, I want to say Jimmy Butler played in that Miami game. That is a huge, huge step in the right direction. Last year had some promising moments for the Pacers, but they just got ran off the floor routinely without Halliburton. And Andy, I think it's worth pointing out, you know, the win in Miami or the comeback against Boston a few weeks ago without Halliburton, again, that was without Siakam. So, it, 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 yes, Siakam has greatly helped here over the last week or two, but, you know, you got to give a shout-out to Andrew Nemhard. you got to give a shout-out to TJ McConnell. Uh, there's been nights where Obi Toppin has stepped up. Benedict Matherin, of course, has taken on more of a scoring burden. The Pacers have shown off their depth without Halliburton this season. Certainly, if you want to make any noise come the postseason, you got to have your lead guy. Uh, but to get there and to potentially be whatever, a five seed, a four seed, who knows, you got to be able to withstand some moments without him, and they have more than done that this season. Uh, before we get to this Chad Buchanan sound, he was on yesterday with JMV. I just wanted to ask you as an aside, because a lot's being made, and I understand it, but I'm also wondering when the Pacers can move beyond it. And again, I am understanding of it, especially this season. I can't wait till... You know, if even if it's next year, and it better be next year, I guess, that we don't have to totally worry and count on and circle when they're on nationally, when they're nationally <laughs> broadcast. And listen, I know it's a big deal. You know, a lot of NFL markets look at it and say, okay, well, you know, we're we're on once. You know, it's a Thursday night game. We're on nationally uh, televised. You know, we're on NBC or ESPN or whatever. And I get it this season. I understand why the Pacers didn't have a heavy load on nationally uh, on national television, but I'm interested how much of a story that is next year, especially if they're a five seed and win a playoff series this year. Does that make sense? It's a it's a small time it's a small time conversation, in my opinion. Once the Pacers move beyond it, we'll never look back, and we'll look, or if we do, we'll look back and say, "Can you remember five years ago when we were all circling on that Tuesday night to go play Boston at seven thirty on TNT? Remember and, that?" And I do think Halliburton has handled those questions pretty well. It's like, no, 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 you earn it. You you earn to be on national television, and they earned it in the in season tournament. And I think yeah. moving forward, I just with, wanted with their to bring, play, I just wanted to bring that up because you know it's you know it's been circled. Is he going to be back for that game? I'm like in other in, in other years, if they're a high seed this year, you win a playoff. Perhaps you win two playoff series. Uh, you have Halliburton, Siakam signs long term. Suddenly you're a team uh, that everybody wants to face. Let's hear from Chad Buchanan here. We'll have more time to react to this. So he was on general manager yesterday uh, for the Pacers. Was on yesterday with. JMV, 
Making more moves, what will they do in the next week and a half? Here's what Buchanan had to say. We've had a pretty active month before that we got to, uh, you know, the trade with, with Pascal. And, you know, this this time of year, when you, when you make a major change like that, you don't want to get too anxious to do a bunch of stuff. You know, that was a pretty big jolt to our team, adding Pascal. And uh, we're excited about his addition, obviously, and we're kind of excited about some of the young guys, where they're growing with their development. And we're not in a big rush to try to totally revamp the roster because we, we've seen some good things from this group. And, you know, if we get calls on deals that are, you know, make sense for us and help the team be better, you know, we're obviously going to listen, but we're not being super active at this point, John, on, on doing anything else because this is this is a pretty big change as is. Now, they always say deadline spur action. Yeah, you and believe we them? are nine days away <laughs> from the trade deadline, but I actually do believe a, a good, good chunk of that in that the Siakam trade has kind of recentered some things. And also, the, the other part I'm curious about is they made it clear before the start of the season they wanted to extend Buddy Heald. Now they needed to try and get to a happy medium between both sides. They could not get there. How has the Siakam trade and the financial impact changed that? Assuming they give Siakam the mega deal. Do you have room for Buddy Heald moving forward? Should that impact you a week from Thursday? Yeah, and then it gets into, well... Do you have room for Obi Toppin moving forward? Should that impact you a week from Thursday? Like, Financially, what you looked like in September is a whole lot different than what you look like financially as we turn the calendar to February. So I think those are some real conversations you have to have in weighing these final two months of the year. I do think there's a part of it internally, and I get it. You haven't won a playoff game in six years. You haven't won a playoff series in nine years. Right, I know. This is probably the best you felt about your playoff positioning in that time frame, certainly in the last handful of years. So should you just say, screw it, if we can't re-sign Buddy... So what? We'll let him walk for nothing? That's not how you felt with the Colts, though. No, no, no. And and, and, and that's what's so difficult about this. I'm torn because, again, you don't have two first-round picks next year. Right. So how do you get better moving forward this offseason? Is it just you're going to let Buddy walk, you're going to let Obi walk, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we hope that you pass the torch to Ben Shepard. You pass the torch to Jairus Walker. I, I, I could see that. Obviously, there's a little bit of hope there with that. But at the same time, Buddy can be such a weapon for you and can easily go win you a playoff game. Uh, you would think that you would want him. Well, what's been the most what's been fun. the most important thing about this team is depth. So I guess my thing would be if you move these guys, there's two things. If you move these guys and it's picks or money and or money, you're sending probably the wrong message. Given well, it doesn't that you just are, have to be picks and money. No, no, but if it's players coming back, then I can get with it. Uh, to me, you can't lessen your team. Does that make sense? If you move Obi Toppin and you get a guy or two back that can help you, I'm fine with it. But it's it, it, at this point, I think they're committed to where if they move somebody and they're not getting someone back for this season, they're going to catch some heat with what they did with Siakam. They're not in a win now like Boston, but they're not in a just make the playoffs and everything's going to be okay either. They're real stuck in the middle. They really are. It's an odd spot to be in. The latest on Tyrese Halliburton with Rick Carlisle. Rick joins us next. 
Hour number two, 8 o'clock hour, as always, broadcasting live from the drivehubler.com studios. KB and Andy, Mark Dykton hanging out with us. Busy, busy show coming up in about a half an hour. Mike DeCourcy will join us. We'll talk some college basketball pop quiz in the 9 o'clock hour. Busy on this Tuesday. Reminder as well tonight, Pacers in Boston. That's not a Bally's game. No, that's a TNT game. That tip off at 7.30. Coverage here on the fan beginning at 7 o'clock. All right, it's a Tuesday. 8 o'clock, you know what that means. Pacers head coach Rick Carlisle joining us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, good morning. How are you today, sir? What's up? Uh, not, not much. Uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're uh, waiting for Tyrese Halliburton. I guess we can start there. When will you know today that uh, your superstar, if he'll be back in the lineup tonight? Um, I'm not exactly sure. I, I, I expect that he will play. Um, he's done very well. We can have whatever it's been. And, uh, yeah, he had another, um, scrimmage yesterday and we just got to make sure that he's, uh, still feeling good and still recovering well after he's increased workouts. And then, um, if the answer is yes, then, uh, then he'll be, uh, they'll be, he'll be in there tonight. How did he look in practice or scrimmage yesterday? And do you foresee any restrictions tonight? Or if he needs to play, you know, 35-plus minutes, he'll be able to go? He looked good. And, you know, I, uh, in terms of the minutes, I'm not going to get into the what the minutes are going to be. Um, he will, he will uh, not play a full game. But he will be um, brought back into this uh, somewhat gradually. And um, and we'll build it from there. So, um, but the f- most important thing, as you mentioned, is that he's he's feeling uh, he's feeling good today. And and uh, as I as I said, if that's the case, then I expect that he will play tonight. Uh, last one for me on the Tyrese front, and maybe it's too early in the week to know this. Uh, will he play in back to backs coming up Thursday, Friday? It. It's too early to set to, to say for sure. Um, <clears throat> the hope is that we can uh, once again build this thing up gradually and um, have him be able to play both games. I mean, like we're we're on national TV tonight. Uh, we play New York on Thursday, you know, which is a big conference rival. Um, and then we play Sacramento on Friday. I mean, <clears throat> you know, and that's, <laughs> we know what that game's all about, you know, cause, uh, cause of the, the trade a couple of years ago and stuff. So, um, you know, the, the hope is definitely that he can play all three and, and, and move forward, you know, the, the right way, um, into the weekend and beyond. Again, Rick Carlisle is with us tonight, 7.30. As Andy said, it's TNT. It'll be the Pacers and Celtics from Boston. Coach, you guys have been a much, much better team this season without Tyrese in the lineup compared to last year. And I feel like, in a way, it's not just been one guy. Certainly, Siakam has helped over the last couple of weeks, but you know, it's been a variety of guys before that. 7-6 and six on the year without Tyrese. Some really big wins against high-level teams without him. What do you point to as the reason for such a jump from last year to this year and how you guys have played without him? Well, two things, you know, two or three things, really. I mean, uh, a year of uh, more experience, 
So, you know, guys like, uh, guys like Nimhard, um, guys like Matherin, you know, you saw in the, in the game, I don't know if you guys watched uh, the game on Sunday, but, um, you know, playing Memphis right now is, you know, one of the most difficult things to do because they're physical. They got a bunch of highly motivated guys. They've got great coaching. Um, they got Jaron Jackson Jr. who they've kind of turned into a point center and he's really playing well. And I mean, that's a rock fight playing those guys. And so, um, you know, we, we just, we had trouble getting our footing in the first quarter and, and Matherin came in and uh, hell, I think we we're down eight in the first quarter and he just generated some offense and he, he helped us get going. And so um, there's been real growth there. Uh, Nimhard was our, our only uh, true point guard available uh, as TJ McConnell had a, had a family thing he was, uh, was addressing. So we played him in, uh, we played Nemhard in in three stretches in both halves to kind of keep try to keep keep him going, and then you know you saw Ben Shepard fill in at point and a little bit of Buddy Heald, and um and so you know we 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 had the experience in Sacramento a week and a half two weeks ago whatever it was where we got through a game without two of our top three point guards and kind of duplicated it uh, in the Memphis game. Uh, with Nemhard instead of McConnell. So, you know, there's that. There's the acquisition of Siakam, which really helps um, in a lot of ways. You got another playmaker, you got another scorer, you got another rebounder. You know, you saw at the end of the game in, uh, against Memphis, he's guarding Jackson Jr. They throw it into him. They try a keeper for a drive. He stymies him going left. It makes him spin back to the right and take a difficult shot they miss, and, and the game's over. You know, and there's a guy that gets – one stop and you know <laughs> game's over so that's a big deal and then um our depth you know it's you know we got a lot of guys that are capable um and a lot of guys that are capable um and the group has taken taken on the personality and and the challenge of um of these types of uh situations and been resourceful in finding ways to, to to compete and and to get wins. Rick Carlisle with us here on this Tuesday on the Fan. Of course, uh, Pacers in Boston tonight, seven thirty on TNT. You can hear it right here on the Fan. Just to add to that, Coach, if you don't mind, I mean, I, I would imagine for you, you're you know, with back to backs and you play a game, you're on a plane, you're playing another game. It's hard to find satisfaction at times and the way I said it yesterday for you guys was the win on Thursday the I I mean I don't know if it's magical but just what an amazing win on Friday night against Phoenix and then all the injuries really gutting it out in a physical I know you talked about how physical there uh, that Memphis game was those three wins and those three wins at home but also without Halliburton you know to me Boy, I thought they were satisfying, and when we look back this season, if whatever seed you guys are in the playoffs, however this thing plays out, you can look back at that weekend and say, boy, that was a nice weekend for the Indiana Pacers. Did you find any satisfaction in what you guys did against Philly, Phoenix, and then gutting one out Sunday against Memphis? Yeah, you know, those are all really tough games. I mean, and so, you know, 
I mean, Philadelphia, Miles Turner played great in that game. I mean, he, he took on the challenge with Joel Embiid, and, and Joel still had 30 points, but, you know, he was he was coming off a game where he scored 70. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, Miles made it tough on him. I mean, the, guy, the guy's making fadeaway contested 17-foot shots, you know, um, to get 30, and if, and if that's the case and you're not letting other three-point shooters get going um, – you know that's a good thing, and so anyway, we, we you know we win that game. The back to back is you know it's difficult. So like tonight we played Boston. They played a very tough game last night at home against um, New Orleans, and they won. And so you know we, we got to do our best to take advantage of that. Um, you know we got to go in there and we got to you know play our game, try to play our game better than they play their game. And so, but. The point is, you know, we, we play Phoenix, they're rested, and Booker comes out as 29 in the first quarter, and Durant's flicking in shots, and Beal's running around. You know, it's just, and, and, you know, and so we got we to gotta find a way to hang with them. You know, we're down 17 at one point in that game. Hang with them, fight back, you know, get our crowd into it, hopefully give ourselves a chance. That's exactly what we did, and fourth quarter was, was was wild and crazy, but I think we held them to 17 or 19 points, and um, and that was a great win, you know. But and look, Memphis is a tough game too. But you know, the way you're describing this, um, you, you can't you can't exhale, <laughs> you know. Right. But our goal our goal is not is not to just win some games in January. I mean, we're we're on a on a bigger you know a, a bigger picture. Um, challenge here, which is to become a championship contending team. And so there are just certain things that um, are non-negotiables, you know, like our, our attention to details competitively, you know, that's, that's a big deal, you know, little things, you know, uh, free throw block out, you know, blocking out your man, you know, squeezing the ball and coming up with possessions and, um, you know, shot selection. I mean, we, offensively, our guys have great freedom to um, to take shots that you know that come. I mean, we we play a random style, and and we 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 depend on our players for shot creation. So, you know, you can't be burping up some nonsense in these you know one possession games. And so, um, you know, there's a lot going on. And so, you know, it, it, those are three great wins. Um, but we got nine games until the uh, the All Star break, and and we we got to keep our head down and keep our eye on the ball, and uh, and try to and try to grind grind as many out as we can here, and and then you know at the All Star break, you know we can forget about things for a few days. Well, yeah, you want to watch effort? Just watch that tipping by Obi Toppin there on the final play of the Phoenix game to see the difference in that one. He is Rick Carlisle. He's with us here live from Boston. Pacers and Celtics coming up tonight. At 7.30. Coach, this is for my own curiosity, and maybe you don't want to share, um, but I am curious. We did see you get ejected from the game last week, and I'm wondering to myself, does Rick Carlisle just go back there and, like, does he have a Bally Sports <laughs> subscription? Uh, like, w- what do you do after an ejection? How, how do you consume the rest of, of the game? <laughs> Yeah, I was just, I, I was seeing things that were um, really bothering me. And so it was time to, you know, get the out of there. You know, so that's what I did. And, you know, I, Siakam um, had just come to us, you know, a few days prior to that. 
uh, you know, I, I thought he got shoved on a play. There was no call. And so, you know, uh, you know, you want to, you want to stand up for a guy that is, you know, a new star player for, for you. And it just, you know, things were, things were going sideways. And so, you know, I got a lot of faith in, in uh, Lloyd Pierce and my, and my coaching staff. And so, you know, it just was time to go and I'd seen enough. And so I go back to my office. Um, I don't know about, I don't, I don't know about a Bally sports app, but we have a television that has a different kind of cable thing. You know, it's like, you know, channel 14, one, 15, one, and then some channels have like 35, one, 35, two. So I don't, you know, I don't know how the whole thing works other than 35, one is the inner Rita feed. And so, uh, you know, I go back there, watch the, uh, watch the in arena feed. And, uh, you know, Kevin Pritchard came back and we hung out and, you know, watched, uh, watched some of the third quarter together. And then, you know, he went back out and watched the, the game and, uh, you know, our, our guys did a great job. I mean, we, we were, we got to a one possession game and, and really had a chance. And then, you know, Jokic threw in one shot and, um, uh, and then a couple other things happened, but uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the story of the whole thing. I I've gotten a lot fewer technicals this year um, right. than last year, and, and, and ironically, early in the game, uh, Ben Taylor, one of the one of the referees, said, uh, "Hey, how many how many how many you got this year?" I said, "I only have four. <laughs> you know, I only have four. So you oh, know, boy. I mean, yeah." And then you know, less than. Uh, 20 minutes later, I had six, you know, so there you go. Do, do you find it? It's more of the magic word. It's the demonstrative nature. It's how far out on the court. Well, well, typically, I, I know you haven't gotten as many this year. What do you find is kind of the old, uh, you know, magic potion, if you will, to get the toss? <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's, there's a litany of things you can do, but if you come out on the court, you know, which I did and, you know, said say you know what the what the hell or whatever and then um then you stay out there you're going to get the second one you know so that's that's kind of that's kind of what happened on that one and you know you just you know you hope not to get in those situations and philosophically you know there's some coaches that believe that you know that getting thrown out is something you should never do if you if you guys want to if you guys want to look at something interesting look at the history of NBA coaching ejections. I think Don Nelson is the all-time leader in ejections. I think he got ejected like seventy-eight times. <laughs> wow! I mean, I mean, it's like it is. It is a galactic number. You know, I've probably been thrown out. I don't know, ten times in twenty-two or twenty-three years, whatever it's been. But seventy-eight times. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's like crazy. Just get know? his own so, wing in the Hall of Fame for that. He should. No question. <laughs> Rick Carlisle with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, some great stuff there. No, I, uh, you answered the and, question. And Pritchard Mark came back on his feet, by the yes, way, for the yes. dump button. I, I was oh, wondering, yeah. uh, you, you watching that alone? Someone comes back, but uh, some good stuff there. Again, Pacers in action tonight, seven thirty on TNT. Hear it right here on the fan. You know, one thing we've talked about, Coach, is the sixty-five game rule. You know, Tyrese Halliburton to get that super max up over fifty more million dollars in his pocket, but he 
needs to play 65 games. We see that with even the league MVP. You know, someone like a Joel Embiid, is he going to play 65 games? And I know that was collectively bargained a few years ago. Halliburton actually talked about it yesterday, Coach. He called it a, a stupid rule. Is that in you guys' mind at all? And what do you make of that rule to hit some of these escalators in awards? You need to play 65 games in a season. Yeah, it's you know it's it's a reality, um, and you know it's it's getting it's starting to get a lot of discussion for obvious reasons. Um, you know, Embiid, if he doesn't get the sixty-five games, you know, he may not qualify for awards, but he's already got his contract. You know, so that's so his contract situation is is set. Um, you know, Tyrese is, is is a little bit different. I mean, this is if he makes one of the All NBA teams this year, um, they, you know, there's an escalator that 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 kicks in that's pretty significant. So, um, look, the hope is that you know we can get him back out there tonight and can you know progress him forward to where you know he's he's feeling really good um, headed into the All Star break. I mean. Yeah, you know, we haven't talked about it yet, but the guys just uh, you know voted a starter um, in the All Star game, and I believe I believe he was the leading vote getter for guards uh, in the East, both on the uh, all three on the fan, media, and player vote. Which is you think about that that's that's amazing, you know. And um, I, I think I certainly believe that our run in the in season tournament and you know an extra three. Um, national TV games contributes to that. Um, but he's also, you know, he's also that good a player. And so, um, you know, the other thing, and I, you know, I don't, whenever they negotiated this thing about 65 games, I, I don't know that the in-season tournament was set, but if you get to the finals of the in-season tournament, you're playing a game that doesn't count. Sure. I, sure. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't count as a win or a loss. It's it just, but you know, you're you know you're playing in a in a in a game that is an enormous revenue generator for for the game and for and for the league. You know why shouldn't that game be counted as a game played? And so maybe maybe that'll be a consideration. Maybe it's something that the league's already uh, already talking about. Like, you know, yesterday Bob Kravitz asked the question at practice and. Um, and, and it's a and it's a great question. So, so we'll see. But look, we got to go day to day with this. You can't look too far ahead, you know, with anything. It's just you just if you do, you'll you'll take you'll you'll lose you know the laser focus that you need every single day with this uh, with this with this dynamic profession. And so, uh, but Tyrese has done well, and so obviously we hope it it continues forward. Coach, uh, you think Benedict Matherin and Miles Turner will give it a go tonight? Saw they were both questionable as well. We'll have to see. I, you know, uh, Ben had a thing that happened where he either got tripped or um, something, and he he jammed his toe. <laughs> and toe, toe injuries are are, are very painful. Um, you know, I don't know if it's if it's a turf toe type type thing or what, but. You know, Chris Duarte missed a bunch of games over the last two years with a toe thing, and you know Miles had a toe thing two or three years ago, and and so we're hoping for the best there. I mean, Matt Mathurin's a guy that just he hates missing games. I mean, he just hates missing, he hates missing practice. You gotta 
you got to tackle him to make him <laughs> sit out of a practice where you you know you're just doing walkthrough stuff. You know, he's just uh, and that's one of the things that's one of the things we love about him. But Miles is back has done better. Um, but I'd be I'd be speaking out of school saying that they're both playing for sure because I don't know that. Again, tonight it is 7.30 in New York on Thursday, also 7.30, and the back-to-back coming up with Sacramento on Friday. Coach, as always, we love these conversations. Hope that there is no Channel 35-1 that needs to be (laughs) dialed up in the garden tonight. Uh, Enjoy the trip back to Boston, and uh, good luck this week. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Nine o'clock hour hanging out with you here on The Fan. As always, as always I should say, broadcasting live from the DriveHubler.com studios. Appreciate Mike DeCourcy joining us. Some college basketball conversation. And Rick Carlisle joining us. You miss any of those conversations. As always, check them out on the podcast center at 1075thefan.com. We're going to get into some cult, some NFL stuff here in a second. I have a tweet that I think uh, KB will not like. It's a Mike Florio tweet just to get you mad in the 9 o'clock hour, if I don't mind doing that. Get you frustrated frustrated, um, in the 9 o'clock hour. But before we do that, uh, just quickly, we teased it, so we want to come through on our tease. Rick Carlisle was on in the 8 o'clock hour with us, like he is uh, just about every Tuesday here on the Wake Up Call. And one of the questions uh, that we asked, how did Halliburton look? Again, expected to play tonight if he wakes up and that hand Everyone's feeling good about his hamstring. Expected to play tonight. He did practice slash scrimmage yesterday. Uh, So I ask, how did he look in that practice and any minute restrictions tonight for Halliburton? Here's Carlisle earlier on with us. He looked good. And, you know, uh, in terms of the minutes, I'm not going to get into what the minutes are going to be. He will will, uh, not play a full game, but he will be – um, brought back into this uh, somewhat gradually, and um, and we'll build it from there. So, um, but the f- most important thing, as you mentioned, is that he's he's feeling uh, he's feeling good today. And and uh, as I as I said, if that's the case, then I expect that he will play tonight. Be curious to watch, obviously, tonight, Andy, but Thursday, Friday, you know, that is a back-to-back. Uh, we asked Rick a little bit later, you know, okay, is there any plan yet for that? I believe that's the only back-to-back through the All-Star break. So that's the only one you got to worry about here for the next couple of weeks, but it's a critical one. It's New York, uh, which right now, if you look at the standings, there could be a head-to-head tiebreaker that might be impactful down the stretch. That's up for grabs here. You face the Knicks actually twice here. Before the All-Star break, and then if you're Tyrese, you talk about a game you circle. Uh, Friday against Sacramento, I would think, would be one high on the list. So, certainly interested to see that. Uh, Rick did mention Benedict Matherin uh, injured his toe, and that has been a tricky injury for the Pacers in the past with guys like Chris Duarte, Miles Turner. So, we'll see about Matherin. He seems to play through just about everything, but uh, that'll be something to keep an eye on. I am a little surprised to see the Pacers as big of an underdog. I was surprised to see the line at seven and a Still half. Still seven and a half right now. Uh, Boston played last night, and don't just look at the final score and think it was a breeze. Boston had to grind out a victory over the Pelicans last night. They were down big early. Their starters did not play well early on, and it was a normal Boston unit outside of Porzingis. He is dealing with an ankle injury. They were down ten at half. 
um, down even early in the fourth quarter and then you know, closed how you would think Boston would close and did win that game. But guys like Al Horford and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Drew Holiday, Andy, they all were you know north, well north of 30 minutes, 35 minutes, even close to 40. So that's good news, I think, for the Pacers. Uh, these teams have split so far this year. Obviously, none of the games really have like a specific resemblance to tonight, whether it's the Siakam availability for the first time uh, in the five games between these two teams. You know, Halliburton missed a game, missed half a game. Jason Tatum missed a game. Uh, you had some back-to-backs thrown in there. Again, Porzingis' injury situation. But uh, definitely eager to see. Uh, the Pacers tonight in Boston. All right, so what's the over-under quickly? Because he's averaging about 33, almost 34 minutes a game this season is Halliburton. When he came back in the Portland game, he played 35 minutes, if you remember. So there were no restrictions just a week. Was it a week ago? Whatever it was. I mean, yeah, there about were, 10 days yeah, ago. There, yeah, there were, a week and a half ago, there were no restrictions. He came back in that Portland game, uh, and he might have been favoring the hamstring, whatever it may be. He played 35 minutes, which was over uh, his average. What do you think it is tonight? Well, I mean, 25 and a half, 24 and a half, 27 and a half. I mean, obviously, if he goes out there and tweaks something in the first quarter, then that doesn't matter. But if they, if this plays out like Rick Carlisle would hope, how does he manage this? Uh, and I think also it has to do with where the game is and also how a guy like Andrew Nemhard's been playing in the last four games. I told you yesterday, this guy's played what, 18 and 8. He shot almost 60% from the field. He's been great. Could you slice it up to four seven-minute segments? I think that's probably what you're looking at, right? seven of the game. Yeah, then he comes out. extended break, maybe play the last seven there of the second quarter. Same thing in the second half. Save him, of course, for the last seven minutes of the game. You know, Nemhard's a guy that obviously you want Halliburton to play as much as possible. Um, You know, you you certainly also want to look at it and, and... Realize that Nemhard is a big guy for tonight, and that you know you need guys to guard Drew Holiday. You need guys to guard, um, you know Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Um, so it's a very important defensive presence on that end of the floor as well for you. So um, again, I'll be curious to see uh, exactly what the minute threshold is with Nemhard, uh, or excuse me, is with Halliburton. Coming up tonight, and then the trickle down effect. You know, if Matherin's out, of course, that's going to impact some things from a minute standpoint. And and also, I don't know how much of an impact necessarily it is tonight, but I just think you're on kind of buddy healed watch for the next ten days. If you look at it, Andy, you have to be. I believe yeah, in the last to. four games, he's had three points or less in three of them. I mean, he's just he's been he's been bad the last four games, which is surprising. I mean, you could say, well, Nemhart's picked up, but I mean, if you'd have told me they were going to be Philly, Phoenix, and then grind out a win against the Grizzlies, and you would get you know next to nothing from Buddy Heald, I would have said one of those games he'll come in and knock down five or six threes. Right? You would right. automatically think that in the analysis of the game. Yeah, and, and I think Buddy's such a guy that's like you can easily just call it a little bit of a slump, and then boom, all of a sudden to your point, he hits five or six threes, and you're good to go there. So um, again, TNT exclusive tonight for the Pacers. Uh, so no Bally Sports. Uh, that'll be back on the docket coming up Thursday. Just one last thing before we get to some NFL here. I just for me, I I don't know the reasons. I'm just throwing this out that I find this to be interesting. When he came back, like just how all this has worked out. When he came back against Portland, 
Wasn't it one of those things that all of us were surprised? That was back on the 19th. That was 11 days ago. Yeah. He came back against Portland. A week and a half post-injury. Exactly. We were all just counting two weeks, right? And I know there was the Woj report about two weeks and nothing from the Pacers. So I understand it's not like the Pacers told us, you know, it was going to be, it was going to be 17 days. It, It wasn't anything like that or even two weeks, but it just was curious Uh, that he came back so quick and then he played in that game and we thought he was okay. Maybe there's some parts during the game. Quinn Buckner on Bally's looked at a couple different plays where he might be favoring the hamstring, but he played 35 minutes, which is over the, you know, which is over his season average. And then Carlisle comes on with us and it's no, it's not a re-injury, um, but we're just going to manage this differently. We're going to sit him out three games. Now you won those games, so you could buy. You know, you could buy yourself that there, there wasn't any pressure playing Sunday against Memphis for what they had out. Uh, to me, I mean, you're playing sure maybe with house money, but it's not a very good Memphis team. And this team being deep enough, you could win a game like that. And hell, even Miles Turner doesn't play, and Matherin plays great, and you win a game like that. And now he's coming back and now they're managing I mean they didn't man it was 35 minutes right. against Portland 11 days ago how much is the managing yeah. now and, in game yes and now now it's like okay if he plays 23 minutes tonight and then he plays 28 minutes 29 minutes whatever it may be 30 minutes against New York and then he's back home maybe maybe Friday you're back home and you're getting that 33 to 35 minutes from Halliburton it's just something I it, maybe not a re-injury Something coming from that Portland game scared them enough that made them view this hamstring differently than they did the previous 10 games. That would be fair. Maybe scares too much, but they slowed this process down much more so than they did 11 days ago. Well, I, I mean, and to put on the medical hat, which you know people could laugh at, which is totally fine and fair, as they should have. I mean, hamstrings are tricky. And, like, uh, you watched the Portland game. It was, it, I would say it was rather obvious. Halliburton was clearly hurt. Hell, Halliburton said yesterday, yeah, there was pain during the Portland game. And, and it was a lot of pain after the game. So you needed to assess the management of it, uh, reassess things, totally good with it. Yes, these games are important right now, but nothing is more important than your star being available for a huge stretch coming up as the calendar continues to get deeper in, into 2024. So... Uh, now I'm just curious more about the, it's one thing to manage it off the floor. Right. Now you get him on the floor. I mean, they said yesterday, 20-minute scrimmage against you know interns and, and, and kind of bottom-feeding guys. That ain't Drew Holiday. So, again, how does that look? Tonight here, do you have to be able to ball to be an intern for the Pacers? Like, around, like well, you have I, to play like low, low, uh, like D three or NAIA or something I in college. Just, or what do you have to like do? Philip Seymour Hoffman and along came Polly, was just like Rainmaker, and he's just like <laughs> clanking it off the off the grid. Yeah, I don't think you're going over the Ursay Y, which I, I think is some good run and maybe some grabbing some people there. But I would assume one of the scrimmagers is. Um, is McCaffrey's kid, right? Caitlin Clark's boyfriend? No, that's a great point. I forgot about Connor? that. Yeah. Connor McCaffrey? Is it Connor? Patrick is still there, right? Patrick will play against IU tonight. And Connor McCaffrey, one of the, I don't know, I, I don't have his title correct, but video coordinating intern, something like that. Uh, I'd assume he's probably well, one of them. I always for- he was known for his defense. Well, I always forget. I always forget about Connor. I always wonder. You know, there's been a couple times where his father Fran, where I've kind of taken a run at him for being a, a crazy man on the sideline occasionally. Well, like I've done that three times this morning. Notre Dame is currently <laughs> recruiting a McCaffrey, and he has told schools that he will not be playing for his father. 
Really? Yes, Jack, I think is his name. Okay. Yeah, I know. I saw. Is he the last one, the lineage of McCaffrey believe, kids? Yeah, I saw Micah Shrewsby at one of his games. I'm like, is this a waste of time? And then he has decided okay. not to. Um, I, I do want to get to this. Obviously, we haven't talked a whole lot of Colts today. It is Senior Bowl week, so expect to see a good amount of Colts uh, people down there for that. We know the Senior Bowl has been a huge event for Indianapolis over the years. I believe if you add up all the Chris Ballard drafts, I think they've drafted 26 Senior Bowl guys in the seven drafts. I think last year's draft alone had about half of the Senior Bowl or half of the class was from the Senior Bowl. I mean, we're talking Michael Pittman Jr. and Shaq Leonard and, you know, Bernard Ryman, I think is a great Senior Bowl story in that you're projecting a guy from the MAC level to a little bit of a higher level. Okay, how does he hold up? This week, he only weighs you know 290 pounds. He was a former tight end. How can he hold up against better competition? He held up pretty well. Some people didn't love that he had short arms. The Colts said, no, <laughs> we can work with it. They draft him in, in round three, and I would say that he's your left tackle for the foreseeable future. So um, it's it's a big week for the Colts. But you know, in terms of the Super Bowl teams, Andy, you have two very different quarterbacks, obviously, in Brock Purdy and Patrick Mahomes. But I look at how San Francisco and Kansas City have built things. I think it's very fair to call Kansas City a budding dynasty. Like, I think that is exactly where they're at. They've now done this for a handful of years. In the NFL, if you do something at the level Kansas City's done for a handful of years, you are a budding dynasty, in my mind. San Francisco is probably the one team that's just on that tier below, in that they've made some routine runs. And they've made very deep runs. And they've been a great regular season team. And they have also put together a roster that, in my opinion, is probably the best in the league. Yeah, it's good. And it's probably the most high-end talent of any in the league. And I sit here and look at the Colts and think, Kansas City start to build in the dynasty. And San Francisco, what they're doing right now, the Colts are in a position this offseason to start to try and get to that level. Obviously, it's a very lofty goal to get to that level, but go with Kansas City first. Mahomes is drafted in, what, 2017? He doesn't sign that first big deal till 2020. And in that little run there, they obviously paid Chris Jones big money. They paid Travis Kelsey big money. Those are kind of the core guys. Now, it got to the point where they started to pay Mahomes the big money. They couldn't keep up to Tyreek Hill. They did keep Kelsey. They did keep Chris Jones. Yeah, Chris Jones could be gone after Chris this Jones year. Chris Jones was yeah. throwing a franchise Sure tag. he was. Now, if you go back to the first Super Bowl between these two teams, whether it was Tyron Matthew, whether it was Frank Clark, remember how big Sammy Watkins was sure. in that Super Bowl? Sure. So they made some other pieces at a times when Mahomes was on the rookie deal that they said, all right, this is our time to go swing for a Frank Clark a bit. Swing for a Sammy Watkins. Again, go get a Honey Badger type. They might not be long-term pieces, but they can get us over the hump while we have the core guys in Kelsey and Jones and up until, you know, of course, a couple years ago, Tyreek Hill as well. Now, look at San Francisco. Brock Purdy's on the rookie deal, and he's on the last pick of the entire draft rookie deal. He's on the best deal. He is is literally the most valuable player in the NFL. And if you look at San Francisco's roster, Andy, they are paying McCaffrey top of running back market money. Debo Samuel, Samuel, big money. Top of wide receiver money. A bunch of those defensive linemen. George Kittle, top of tight end money. All those guys. Trent Williams at left tackle. And I'm going to keep going. Eric Armstead, you pointed out. Nick Bosa, defensive line. 
Fred Warner at linebacker. I mean, that right there, you're getting into like a half dozen guys that make top of market money. Why and how are they able to do it? It's because Brock Birdie makes nothing when you consider it in NFL terms. Now, Anthony Richardson does not make nothing right now, but he doesn't make a ton when you consider normal quarterback money. So I bring up this to say, this is the time. San Francisco has viewed it, and even Garoppolo wasn't making extraordinarily high money when they moved on from him. And certainly they tried it with Trey Lance, but it didn't work out, so they didn't have to pay him at all. So now they have been, okay, we're going to make sure we have elite Pro Bowl, borderline Hall of Fame talent at the other positions to make up for the investment that we aren't making at quarterback. And they've now created this thing that's an absolute juggernaut. So they are different ways to build, but they're both reminders, Andy. Kansas City, the starting of their dynasty. San Francisco now saying, oh my gosh, this is our opportunity to go all in on these positions, make a trade for a running back that a lot of teams would scoff at. We'll make a trade for Chase Young, middle of the season. And as say, well. take advantage yeah. of this time. And that's where I'm at with the Colts. You're sitting here in an offseason, and you're going to have this for probably the next two offseasons, where, again, you're not paying the quarterback major, major money. You take advantage of it. You front-load contracts. You make some moves that you might not make in a normal manner and see what that can do for you on the back end of Richardson's rookie contract. Again, Kansas City did some of it. Now, Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark and Sammy Watkins, they weren't core guys for three to four years, but they got them, helped get them that first Super Bowl. And that is critically important, I think, to how you put together a winning NFL franchise. You have to be good at both of it. You, you, do, have, you, you have to be difficult. good on the you have to be good good on the front end, and you have to give the quarterback money and be able to live with yourself and build a team while giving him money. And I don't want to act like San Francisco maybe went out of their building to do a ton of it because they drafted Debo, they drafted Kittle, they drafted you know Bosa and Armstead and Fred Warner. Now Trent Williams and Chris McCaffrey are obviously big big moves that they made on top of it, but they are able to pay those guys and retain you know outside of DeForest Buckner. San Francisco has not really had to say goodbye to any of their mainstays from the last Super Bowl. If you go back and look at the last Super Bowl, it's a lot of the same. Obviously, Purdy being a big difference there. Um, So I just view it. And Chris Power, to be fair to him, Andy, he said this a few weeks ago. Like, we've got a rookie quarterback Right, he gets it. Of course he gets it. This is a time to do some things that you might not have been comfortable doing in years past. So I'm just curious to see how that will look for the Colts. And I think San Francisco and Kansas City are built differently in that, again, one is built largely because of their quarterback. The other one is built because of the support around the QB. But if you look at both of them and their teams, you can point to when you have the rookie contract quarterback, that is a beautiful time, a multi-year window, to try and do things differently. And you must take advantage of that. And I think the Colts are on the front of that right now. They are, but let me ask you, let me kick back on a couple things. Listen, I agree with what you're saying. I guess my biggest problem is when, and this is not even a problem, it's just, it, it might it might be reality. When we have had the conversation about them having all this salary cap, $72, $73 million, we did the exercise, what was it, last week or the week before, Kevin, where it feels like the majority of that 
is going to in-house guys. Now, we don't know that. And of course, Michael Pittman would be a guy that I would sit aside that you want to take care of Michael Pittman, um, you know, taking care of your own, whatever moniker you want to use. You want to take care of Michael Pittman. If you don't have Pittman, what else is out there? But I guess my thing is the big free agent swing is not a Ballard thing. And the big trade doesn't feel like a Ballard thing. And moving up in the draft doesn't feel like a Ballard thing. But he also has never been in this position. Uh, uh, Agreed. So I guess my question would be, where does the swing, if if we're talking about a big swing or a Pascal Siakam size swing, because everything we've mentioned this offseason has been signing the guys that were on this team this past year. I guess uh, maybe... You know, but if he doesn't you, feel that can way, can you sign all four? And do you want to absolutely sign well, all four? I think the second it, part's your question. If it means that's it, and, and Ballard would counter against you, he would say, "No, we we traded the 13th pick for DeForest Buckner. We made a big trade for Carson Wentz. Obviously, didn't work. It didn't out. work, but now, you made the move. To your sure. point about trading up and your point about free agent signings, I would probably agree with you there. But I guess the question becomes this, and it's a it's a bit of a scary proposition when I say it out loud. But I think it's part of, you know, how these sorts of moves have to develop. Can you patchwork around a Grover Stewart loss? Can you patchwork around a Kenny Moore loss? Right. Can you patchwork around a Julian Blackman loss? If I said those three names, you probably would say Blackman would be the easiest one to do. The Colts have found one-year stopgap guys at safety prior, whether it was, you know, Mike Mitchell, if you want to go to the start of the Ballard era, or if you want to go to Rodney McLeod just a couple years ago, but that would be the question. And if you're opening up $7 million there, or 9 or $10 million there, and you're trying to, again, skate by, get by a little bit in a different avenue, what if that money then turns into more of the big splash at another spot? I think that would be the question that I would have with, with, with that. And again, I know there's probably a lot, a big chunk of our audience that's like, I'll believe it when I see it. That's how I feel. And I agree. Yeah, that's how I feel. But Ballard's words were different a few weeks ago than they usually are. And he pointed out the biggest difference in that, again, he is not having a large, you know, high percentage of his cap going to a quarterback. This it, You'd be naive to be an NFL GM and look at the opportunity with a rookie contract quarterback and treat it like now Kansas City has to treat it and paying Mahomes a 10-year, $500 million deal or whatever it was. Like This is the opportunity. This is the time. And it's very similar to Buffalo trading for Stephon Diggs when Josh Allen was on a rookie contract. Very similar to Philadelphia trading for A.J. Brown when Jalen Hurts was on a rookie contract. Very similar to Miami trading for Tyreek Hill when Tua was on a rookie contract. This is the time to do it if you want to be a legit team and set up for, I think, some real, real January type of success. You've got to be open-minded to that. And again, maybe it's me being wishful thinking here, but I did think Ballard at least had some ears open based off his words from a few weeks ago. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in, in what he does here. Uh, I'm interested in who they want to keep, who they extend contracts to. I'm interested in how much they're willing to fight for some of these guys. I will say what one thing I don't care about, and I know Ballard may have said this in the past, is we pay our own. 
I don't nest. I don't feel that way. I, I I understand it. I can understand because you're comfortable with a guy. Um, but I, I mean, that's that's not really what you're talking about here. I mean, we would well, be talking I about guys you don't know uh, being yeah. on this team at whatever position. Obviously, there's risk involved with all of it. At some point, your own stale becomes too harsh, but your own just becomes a bit of damaged goods, and, and that's what you have to ask. Again, I think Grover Stewart and Kenny Moore can still give you pretty good football. But I also can sit here and be like, they're 30 years old and right. Grover, and the other one is approaching right. that. I know. And they're, you know, Kenny, two years ago, didn't have a great year. So, and when corners reach that age, you know, when does that start to decline? Uh, three weeks from today, Andy, that is probably the first sign of any action we could see with the Colts this offseason. February 20th. That is the start of a two-week franchise tag window. Um, so leading into free agency, which is March 13th, from February 20th to March 5th, two-week window to apply the franchise tag to Michael Pittman Jr. if they would like. That will be, I think, probably the first major domino here this offseason. 